So my daughter Bryn needs surgery, and so uh, our family has been trying to just figure out the best place to take her, the best hands to get her into, and so we've been visiting all kinds of doctors, and, and we've seen several different people, and just different hospitals trying to figure out the right move. And so this past week, we went into the city to a really great hospital, a really smart doctor, and we were just talking with him, and he's kind of explaining different things about the pre-surgical procedure, and then going into surgery, coming out of surgery, all different stuff that's going to happen. And so as we're there, he says, uh, would you please just direct your eyes to this video monitor? I'm thinking we're going to watch like Home Alone or Elf or something. I don't know. I'm all excited. But then he begins to show us some things. The first picture he brought up was this picture I'm going to show you guys here. He begins to explain that my daughter is going to have robotic surgery, and this is basically the kind of machine that's going to be used on her. I'm like, get Doc Ock away from my little girl, right? Like, I was not happy about this at all. And if you know me, you know I don't do so well with stuff like this, blood and guts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a little bit put off. And then he says, are you guys okay to watch a video from a surgical procedure that I did. And my eyes got huge. I was like, are you kidding me? This is going to be horrifying, right? But then I'm like, ah, eh, it's probably just going to be those arms moving up and down, like a little animated cheesy thing. Oh, no, 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 no. There was a camera inside the body of the person he was operating on. There are things being cut. There are blood. There are guts. And there are things being stitched back together. It was horrific. And my wife is sitting there who loves this stuff. She got somehow her hands on a thing of popcorn. She's eating and watching the movie here. This is horrifying to me. I hate this kind of stuff, right? And I couldn't even look away. And this did not go on for 30 seconds. It did not go on for five minutes even. This just kept rolling. I was like, we're going to watch the whole thing? And he was talking right in front of the video monitor. So I couldn't even not look at it because even if I was looking at him, I was still seeing it. It was very, very upsetting. Then he starts to talk about scars. He says, well, she's going to have a few very small scars. Because we're using these psycho doc ock arms, they'll be really tiny. But there's going to be three scars. And he says, unless I have to move her liver, then there will be a fourth. I'm like, move her liver? What is going on here? What is this guy going to do to my little girl? Then he starts to show us some pictures of some of the tools he's going to use. And so, you know, it's the normal stuff at first. We get like a scalpel. And then he talks about this pump thing he's going to use. And then he's got like these scissors. But then stuff like this next one really kind of started to freak me out a little bit. I don't know about you. I'm a little upset when I begin to see something like that. And you wouldn't even begin to believe some of the stuff that came up next. Look at this next one. Couldn't even believe this was part of the equation. I'm like, seriously, right? And then this last one, I just ran out. I was done. I was gone. I'm like, I'm no way, right? But here's the deal. This guy, man, he took us behind the scenes of this surgery. He wanted to show us everything. He gave us way too much information, in fact. But he took us behind the scenes and really showed us what was going to happen. And in the heart of this series here, week two, man, I wish there could be week 100. I've been loving this setup. I've been loving the worship atmosphere. If you're new to us, this is not how we normally do stuff. But as I explain a little bit later, our team just wanted you to have a really unique experience around some of the ideas of worship that we've been talking about. So we kind of went through the extra effort to bring the stage down to the room and to make us one big family, not really, you know, us versus them or them versus us, but just everybody together worshiping, just to kind of drive some points home. But I'll tell you, here in this series, the heart is to kind of get behind some of the distractions, some of the things that we sometimes put so much of our emphasis on. And hey, there's nothing wrong with great bands and great musicians. We're so blessed. There's nothing wrong, wrong with cool you know, stage setups and all that kind of stuff. Those are powerful tools in our day. But at the end of the day, we got to get behind all that stuff and really talk about what worship really is all about. And that's what we've been doing here in this series. 
Years ago, there was this show on VH1. It was called Behind the Music. It was when VH1 still actually played music. And it was Behind the Music. And then what they would do is, is they would look at different people's lives. And so they would get behind the artists. Like, you know, you see the guy, the poster. You see the video. You see, you know, the stuff that he put out online. But they know they got behind all that and said, what's this person really about? They did this with everybody from Elvis to Metallica to Carrie Underwood. Everybody they, they could get their hands on. They would interview their families, their friends. And if they could, they'd interview them and say, what's going on in you, right? Like, what's going on in your heart? Why did you write this song? Where did this come from? And today we're going to look at two songs, two songs, and we're going to talk about where they came from. We're going to go behind the music on a couple of songs that are kind of old school. Now, one of them is legitimately old school. It's like 150 years old, and it's powerful. The other one is not legitimately old school, but it is old school enough that if you've been in church for the last 15 to 20 years, you sang this song so much you decided you were never going to sing it again. Church has killed this song, okay? But we're bringing it back tonight, all right? But I want you to see the heart behind these two songs because, man, when you know what's going on behind the music, you begin to appreciate the songs a different way and I think actually take us deeper in worship. So Lou Giglio made this illustration. He said that sometimes the greatness of God shows up in our life and we can't help but just kind of echo that greatness back, you know? Like we've all been in a room where there's been an echo, right? Or we've been in a canyon, there's been an echo. And what Louis says is that, man, we are meant to behold the greatness of God, experience the greatness of God, and then really echo that greatness back. And that's the heart of worship, right? Like I know many of you guys, I know the stories of what God has done in your life, the ways that he's shown up in your lives. And I've seen God show up in great ways. And so then now the question is, are you and I going to echo back that greatness? Are we going to sing it back? Are we going to let it kind of reverberate from our hearts back up to him? The tricky thing is this. Oftentimes, some things dampen that echo, don't they? Some things in our lives dampen that echo. So these curtains on the back wall, when we first got into this room, we realized, oh my gosh, we're in trouble, man. We're going to have our loud band up on the stage, and then everything is going to bounce off that brick wall, and it's going to be a nightmare in here. And so we bought these expensive 12-foot thick curtains only for that back wall because we wanted the sound to be dampened. And so we go through the process of setting them up and tearing them down every single week. Let me ask you this. Have you maybe set up some dampeners in your life when it comes to echoing back the greatness of God? Like, have there been some things that you've allowed to kind of be put up in your life that really cut short that echo, that, that worship that God calls you and me to? Here in this series tonight, I want to talk about two of them. The first one is preference. One of the dampeners in our lives when it comes to worship is preference. Here's the deal. We walk into a church experience or something like that, and we think to ourselves, ah, it's not my style. This isn't my preference, so I guess I can't worship today, right? Oh, I don't really like this worship leader. Oh, I don't like that band. I don't like the setup. I don't really like the vibe in that room, right? And so now I guess I can't worship now. And We set up this dampener of preference. When I was a youth pastor, I would go to the green room on Friday nights, right? And we would see these kids just worshiping Jesus, man. I'm talking arms up in the air, screaming the praises of God out. And they would come back to the same building two days later, and they'd stand like to their parents like this and one one Friday I just said guys we got to chat I said do you realize that if you show up on a Friday and you're worshiping Jesus and you show up on a Sunday and you can't worship anymore him anymore you're not worshiping Jesus you're worshiping an environment 
We got to keep worshiping Jesus, right? See, the dampener of preference was up in these kids' lives. And hey, Sunday morning, man, standing next to mom and dad, and it's early. I get the difference in the vibe. I understand that. But at the end of the day, God is still worthy to be worshiped no matter, no matter where it is and when it is and who's leading worship and what song and how they sing it and what style. You guys know how much I love country, man. It's not really at all, but, but you guys know. Man, at the end of the day, if this was a bluegrass worship service, I'm in, right? I got to be, even though it would be hard. I got to be in because God's still worthy of my praise no matter what. Some of those same kids went to Smithtown Christian. And again, Friday night, man, they'd be worshiping Jesus. I walk into chapel to, to speak one week. And man, same kids, man, who were worshiping the Friday, the, the Thursday there, they're just standing there, man, they're drooling. Like, it's just, it's just not happening. And again, guys, look, I know at the green room, man, we, we've got cool lights and a great band and a fog machine. Rest in peace, fog machine. Rest in peace, man. When we came into the school, they wouldn't allow us to bring the fog machine. They have some kind of weird hang-up about fire alarms and fire marshals. I don't know what the big deal is. But I want to let you know, when we get to the new building, you're each going to get your own miniature fog machine. You can control fog disbursement. It's going to be epic. I can't wait. But I, I would say to these kids, look, I know we've got like the best on Friday, right? But Jesus is still worthy to be worshipped on Thursday morning, right? Even if you're in school, even if it's uninspired, even, even if it's not quite the song you would think of. And so a lot of us have this dampener of preference up in our lives, and maybe we didn't even realize it. The second dampener is a huge one. It's probably the biggest one. The second dampener is pain. And some of you guys come in here and you go, I would worship, but... Man, I left a screaming household before I got here. I would worship, but my body hurts. I would worship, but I don't know how I'm going to pay off all this debt. I would worship, but I don't know why she won't return my calls. I would worship, but I'm so addicted. I'm so depressed. I would worship, but, right? It's the dampener of pain. And a lot of us have this in our lives right now. And that dampener of pain steals so much worship, shuts down so much of the echo that should be reverberating the greatness of God back to him. And so maybe it was that you tonight, and just in that first song, and, and we just did one song on the front end of this, of this night, because we want to really save a huge, beautiful, extended worship experience for the end. And I'll tell you what, all two services so far, it has been some of my favorite times of our church's history, man, responding in praise. And so I'm looking forward to the end of this service when I shut up and really get going. But I'll tell you this, maybe you're here tonight, and, and you were just kind of planning on coasting through it. You were kind of planning, because of that dampener of pain of just, I don't know, man, maybe opening your mouth a little, but you weren't going to raise up your hands. You weren't going to scream out to God. You weren't going to clap your hands. You weren't going to let there be passion in your heart. And I pray tonight we'll be able to work through that. This is so important, guys, because here's what we discovered last week. We are worshipers of God. Like, that's who we are. This is our identity, right? This is not a choice. Like, it's not about being a super Christian. Like, I think that's, that, that's what happens sometimes. Like, somebody comes in in here, and they're a passionate worshiper, and it's almost like everybody looks at them like, wow, they're a real Christian, or they're a, a superhero Christian, or man, they must have some great faith. No, if we are followers of Jesus, then we are worshipers. And we miss out on a few things when we miss out on worship. We miss out on blessing God's heart. And I don't think we want to miss out on that. I think we love God enough to want to say, God, I want to bless you back. I want to echo back your greatness, right? Another thing we miss out on is we miss out on that special connection with Jesus. I don't know about you, man. When I worship God with you all, I just feel something special happening. I just feel closer to him. I feel nearer to him. My problems disappear for a little while. And sometimes my whole attitude toward those problems completely changes. 
The last thing we miss out on when we miss out on worshiping God is we miss out on impacting others. My man Joey over here, about, I don't know, maybe a year ago, we were here in a worship set, and our band's up on the stage, and he was just worshiping, and, and I heard somebody tap him on the shoulder. Actually, I didn't hear the tapping part. That would have been a loud tap, but, but I heard somebody say to him, hey, man, and they didn't even know him. They just said, hey, man, I just want to thank you for how you worship because it blessed and it inspired me to worship. And that's one of the cool things about this setup. I know some of you all have some awkward visual uh, connections going on here. My friend Brian was sitting in that seat there last Sunday, and I was sitting in this seat, and we were just like, this is very strange. And, but, so I know some of that's going on, but I bet something else is going on. I bet a few of you guys, as you've been worshiping, you've been looking across and seeing somebody else worship, and you've been inspired and drawn into worship all the more. Man, what a powerful thing. What a great way that God can use us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And there's a little bit of maybe a unique experience for you. You're not quite sure what to make of all this. We're talking about God and God being great. We're talking about worshiping him. You don't even maybe know what that means. And so I hope tonight to make that a little bit more clear for you. And I hope you will kind of be drawn in. But at the end of the day, I want you to see the greatness of Jesus, of his love for you. That's what I want you to walk out of here with. So we're going to go behind the music. We're going to learn how to remove some of these dampeners. Let's talk about the dampener of preference. So let's first start out, not with the official old school song, but the song that's old enough to kind of make us a little bit nauseous remembering how often we sang this song, but we're going to bring it back in power tonight, okay? So the first song we're going to talk about here is called The Heart of Worship. And Matt Redman wrote this song, and he's one of the most popular worship leaders of the last 20 years, what Elevation is right now, what Hillsong are right now, uh, what some of these different ministries do. They go around, they're renting out Nassau Coliseum in the garden. Like, that's who he was like 10, 15 years ago. And so he wrote all these incredible songs, and as he is doing this stuff, going out there, like working with young adults and, and literally filling stadiums around the world, one day he gets called into the office of the pastor, or, or yeah, the pastor's office in the church he worked at, and the pastor said to him, Matt, we're benching you for a while. And he's like, Why? what do you mean you're benching me? Like, I'm Matt Redman. What do you, you don't bat, bench Matt Redman. What do you mean? And he says, well, let me explain it. And this is what he said. He said, we love to worship through song, but I think we should refocus a bit and make sure we're not leaning on all the props, like the sound system and who's leading and what song is being played. So we're going to get in a room with just our voices and our Bibles and see if we can still bring worship to God. Wow. Imagine if you walked in tonight and there was no band and there was no songs and we just handed out a few Bibles and we said, go for it. Like, as you can imagine, that'd probably be a little bit awkward, right? You know? And that's exactly what they said happened. It was really kind of awkward for them. But then the next thing they knew, like somebody out in the corner started singing out a song, just a cappella style. And somebody over here just opened up a psalm and began to read out a psalm. Somebody over there began to just call out in prayer. Next thing they know, man, they're having a worship service without any worship leader, without any instruments, without any of that stuff. And the heart behind it, guys, was to remove the dampener of preference, Right? It was to help us echo back God's goodness no matter what we were feeling or what cool thing was or wasn't happening. In the moment. And that's, again, part of the heart of why we did this, how we, we really kind of pared things down for this series and just brought it down. We stripped down the band. We stripped down the lights. We stripped everything down. We blocked off the stage because we just wanted to kind of, again, be a family together, worshiping, kind of getting back there behind the heart of worship. And so as Matt Redman is kind of enduring this season, he begins to ask himself some questions. He's like, what am I doing as a worship leader? Like, am I really trying to lead people to Jesus, or am I trying to build my own platform? He starts to ask himself some really tough questions. And as he's wrestling his way through that, he read, or wrote, rather, the, the lyrics to this song. And let's just read some of them. This is, what he, this is what he wrote. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless 
your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And then this is what he says. Before long, we introduced the musicians and the sound system as we gained a new perspective that worships all about Jesus. And he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstances and the setting. This kind of reminds me of a conversation Jesus has. Jesus had a conversation with someone that we know only as the woman at the well. And we looked at that conversation a few weeks ago, but I left the tail end of it off because I want you to see it tonight. And here's what's going on. Jesus and this woman are having a conversation about God and sin and who Jesus is. And this woman begins to bring up worship. And look at what she says here. She says in John 4, 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. She's trying to make it about a place, an environment. She thinks that worshiping on a specific mountain or, you know, for you and I in a specific church or in a specific way with its specific style is what it's all about. And then he goes on, but she goes on, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What's going on here? Well, this woman had an issue here. She was more worried about the place she was worshiping than the God she was worshiping, right? And sometimes we worry more about the place we're worshiping, the environment, who is leading, what song, how we feel, what the setup's like, right? And Jesus here is saying, hey, it's not about the mountain. It's not about the fog machine. It's not about that stuff. There's something so much deeper. There's so much more important going on. In verse 23, it says this, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, think about that, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. i got to be honest with you. That phrase has messed with me for most of my Christian life. To worship in spirit and in truth. I've never quite understood that. Have you ever tried to pick up jello with your fingers? You're like, no, Doug, why would I do that? That's idiotic, right? But you would imagine it would be hard to hang on to. It would kind of slip through your fingers. And I feel like that's what this verse has done for me. It's like, oh, yeah, let's worship in spirit and truth. Well, Doug, what does that mean? I'm not quite sure, but we're going to get there, you know? What does it mean? Well, thank God for really smart theologians because one of them helps us understand what it means. He says when you begin to dig into the Greek language, you realize that Jesus is not talking about two separate things. Like you got to go figure out how to worship both in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is looking for, and this is the heart of worship, is this. He's truly, literally saying worship is truly spiritual. In other words, It's coming from inside you, not outside you. In other words, it can happen in a room where there's no music playing at all. It can happen in a room where you're just bringing praise to God. We're just speaking out to God. We're just shouting out to God together. It can happen in a place where we're just reading the Psalms out loud. It's it's, it's about this truly spiritual experience. This internal thing. It's coming from deep down in our souls who are so satisfied in God and so thankful that we are echoing back the greatness of God. So let me ask you this. If you walk into a room and it's not quite your environment, and hey, we've all been there, maybe this is not your ideal environment. Maybe you walk this area like, dang, it's kind of loud in here, and I don't really like the lights are hitting me in the eyes, and I don't really, okay. But at the end of the day, are we still going to bring Jesus some truly spiritual worship? If you and I walked into an old school church, and there were a lot of a lot of, uh, what are those things called? I can't remember the name of them. Pews, thank you very much. Yeah, there were pews, and there's an organ, and there are people singing in robes, right? That's not my style. 
but I sure as heck better be able to find some worship to bring to Jesus. That's truly spiritual. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. And so I'll just ask you a couple questions. Has the location gotten to you? Has the environment gotten to you? Has the, the worship leader gotten to you? Has the song gotten to you, right? It's okay to have a favorite singer, a favorite song. Like, we all have that song when it comes on, the hands just go up. Suddenly Jesus, the Holy Spirit entered the room, right? Like, like that's okay. We can have that favorite song. But when we don't have that song, when they didn't choose that one that day, can we still say we are truly, spiritually worshiping Jesus, whether we are at Living Word Church or at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle or at True North or at Elevation or at Hillsong United, like we should be bringing the same worship that's truly spiritual. So let's pull that dampener down, that dampener of preference. We're going to look at the next one now, and I think this is going to hit a lot of us. We're going to look at that, that dampener of pain, that one that holds us back because we're just hurting so bad. There was a a song that was written years ago, and this is old school, about 150 years old, written in the 1800s. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And there was a man, his name was Horatio Spafford. He was a successful businessman in Chicago. And his, his life is full of tragedy. And he's been through some, had been through some horrible, horrible things. Uh, he and his wife lost their young boy. He, he got sick and he just died. Then there was this incredible fire in Chicago that ate much of Chicago up, and he, he lost his business. And, and thankfully, over time, he was able to build it back up, and he and his family were planning on going to Europe. And so he stayed back to work on something, and then his family went across the ocean. And on November 21st, 1873, the ship that his wife and four daughters were on collided with another ship, and in 12 minutes, that thing sunk into the waters. There was a man in a rowboat going through the wreckage trying to find out if there are any survivors. He saw this plank of wood and he saw Horatio's wife on that plank. He got her into the rowboat. A large vessel eventually came by. It took nine days, but they finally got to Europe. And we have up on the screen a copy of the original telegram that she sent. And it starts out like this, saved alone, what shall I do? In other words, I'm alive but I'm alone. Four daughters are in that sea. What shall I do? Talk about the dampener of pain, right? Talk about the pain that you can't even imagine recovering from. I've got three kids. I can't imagine losing any one of them, much less all of them in one shot. What's, what's he going to do, right? Well, according to his, his daughter that was born after this tragedy, her name is, is Bertha Spafford. She, she tells us that he took the next ship across and the captain called in the middle of the waters and said, this is the spot. This is the spot where that boat went down. This is where your baby girls are all buried in this water. And she goes on to say that it was on this journey that he wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And on the screens and on your seat is a little scanned card of this song, and you won't even be able to make it out. Like up on the screen, you won't even be able to make it out. But I want us to see the original. I want us to see the real thing. And here are some of the lyrics you can read with me on the screen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying, and this should speak to us because we all have the dampener of pain in our life to some degree. He's saying that this could destroy me. This is not what I wanted to happen. This is devastating to me, but Jesus still saved my soul. Like this is the worst imaginable thing a parent could ever walk through, but Jesus has still saved me. 
I think what he might be saying is something like this. My heart may be broken, but my soul is saved. And sometimes, guys, that's all you have. That's all you have is that your soul is saved, that Jesus came. I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that keeps me a Christian, that keeps me a follower of Jesus, is that my Savior suffered in my place. And so I get an attitude just like you probably do sometimes at Jesus. I see pain and suffering, and I can get mad, and I can get annoyed, and I can say I don't deserve this, and why, and why me, and why now, and why did this have to happen in this way to this one that I love, or this one that I care about, or one of the people in our church that I love. And sometimes that dampener of pain, man, it can really mess with you. But the thing that keeps me coming back is the Savior on the cross, the Savior beaten, the Savior bloodied, the Savior crucified in my place. And so I can say on my worst day, my heart may be broken, but my soul is saved. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the most important thing you need to hear tonight is that the Savior died for you, to save your soul, to rescue you. That doesn't mean life becomes perfect and everything falls right into place all the time. But what it does mean is you have this one who gets you, who walked in your shoes, and then suffered to a degree that you cannot relate to. And that brings me great peace. Because there are times I'm like, God, I don't think you get what I'm feeling right now. And I think he might look back and kind of whisper, Doug, you don't get how much I've felt. You don't get how much I've suffered. And that brings me back. So your heart may be broken tonight. But your soul is saved. And if that's true, then you can reverberate that echo. You can worship your Savior in the midst of that pain. Horatio's story goes on, and I got to tell you, man, he never got the nice pretty bow on his life. It's not like he wrote this song, and then he sold you know, a couple billion albums and started the tour. And no, man, his life was really, really painful. And he even made some questionable decisions throughout his life. But his daughter tells us that as he grew in age and on his last breath, his faith and trust in his Savior was strong. And he could still say, it is well with my soul. It reminds me of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Maybe some of you can relate to this, man. Just the, the, the brokenness of where this person's living. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Guys, everything he just listed is like worst case scenario. This basically means we're not eating. There's no livestock. There's no food. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I love that, guys, because here's what Habakkuk clung to. He doesn't say, man, there's no food and we have no livestock, but hey, man, at least I got a good job, right? Or at least I got a great wife, or at least I have this great situation, or at least I could just relax at the end of the day. No, he's clinging to one thing. He's clinging to the Lord. He's got joy in God, his Savior. One of my favorite worship experiences in my lifetime was in a place called Belize. Some of you were there with us. We were on a missions trip, and we were building houses. The houses were literally probably around the size of this stage, maybe a little bit bigger. This is where the people lived. And the people that we were building our house for needed us to build them a new house because the house they used to live in, rats would come in and bite them while they slept. This is what the environment that they lived in. And we, one Sunday, got to worship with them. Joey was there. I think Andrew was there. We got a couple of you guys here in the room. And, and they could tell you, man, that we were in this small church with a roof but no walls. It was hot. It was pouring rain. And we were singing this song, How Great Is Our God. And these people lived and sung like Jesus was actually alive. 
Like he was actually the greatest news in the whole world. Like he was this prized possession. After this service, I was talking with somebody else, and they said that they once went on a missions trip. They were in Mexico City, and they worshiped in a small church that was in a dump. And the people lived in the dump, and they worshiped like Jesus was alive and was good. Why? Because he was all they had. He was all they had. And you and I so often, I think, and guys, I get it. I live in the same world you do. It's hard, man. When that dampener of pain goes up, it's like we can say, oh, God, I would worship, but, but this. I would worship, but that, right? These people had 10,000 I would worship, but, right? But instead, they said, no, we've got the one thing we need is well with our soul. Our Savior has come. He has rescued us. So have you allowed the dampener of pain to rise up in your life? The dampener of stress, the dampener of financial struggle, the dampener of being bullied, the dampener of of being rejected, the dampener of addiction. Have you allowed the pain to steal that echo? Because I believe that God's calling you and I to pull that thing down. My heart may be broken, but my soul is saved. It is well with my soul. So what have we seen here tonight? We've seen two things. We've seen that worship is truly spiritual. That means it's not about preference. It's not about environment. I mean, those things are a blessing. Those things help. Those things attract and draw in and enhance, and that's great, and we're all for it. But at the end of the day, if we didn't have any of that, worship is truly spiritual. And we've seen here as well, worship is always appropriate. Always appropriate, no matter what you're going through, no matter what is happening in your life, worship is truly spiritual and always appropriate, which means we got to truly worship God in good times and bad. And so I don't know what you're feeling tonight, and I don't know what may have already held you back, and I don't know what you were planning on for the rest of our time together here tonight, but man, my cry with you is let's please break those curtains down, and let's throw them backstage, and let's worship Jesus together with no inhibitions. Let's praise him, even if you don't like our style. That's okay, and we'll help you find a church. Man, you love the style. That's a great thing to get in a church you love to be in. We'll help you do that if you don't like this one. But tonight, we've got an opportunity to worship God. And if that, that pain is just so deep and so, so uh, debilitating and paralyzing, then tonight I would just say, man, just think about the one thing you have. It is well with your soul because your Savior died in your place. That's it. Maybe that's all you got. Maybe you're going home to a mess. Maybe you don't even know how you're getting home. Maybe you don't know how you're eating tomorrow. Maybe you don't know if you'll ever find that person. Maybe you don't know if you'll ever find your way or your path. But you got that one thing. And that one thing is a gift your Savior has given to you. Next Sunday, my friend Dave Cobb is going to join me on stage. We've been praying for Dave, his family. His daughter is fighting for her life. Day in, day out, I'm I'm looking at his post. Is she still alive? It's like there. That's where we are right now. And he's going to be with us next Sunday to talk with us about how you still trust Jesus in the midst of that, how you still worship God in the midst of that. And he reminds me a lot of a a modern-day psalmist because if you read his Facebook post, what you discover is a guy who's not faking it. He's very real. And sometimes his post is, crappy day, please pray for us. And sometimes his post is, my hope is in the Lord, right? Sometimes his post is, oh man, I don't know how much more my heart can take. God, please save my little girl. And sometimes his post is, be encouraged. God's mercies are new every morning. Just real. This is a guy who's clinging to his one thing, his Savior, in the midst of the worst time of his life. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this card. I know you can't read the lyrics, but it's kind of the point. 
I actually wanted you to have this card because it's the real thing, man. The guy wept over this, right? Like, I could have gotten you a nice printout with the lyrics. You could have read along with them. I would rather you have the page, the copy of the page that he probably cried on. Just as a little reminder that if, if he can get there and he can get rid of those dampeners in his life and still worship his Savior, then you and I can too. Would you just keep this with you this week? Would you keep it in your pocket every time you feel it? Would you keep it in your car, on your desk? Would you just keep it somewhere that you see it? so that it helps you push through those dampeners and those things that are trying to hold you back. If you're not a follower of Jesus, God loves you so much. He died for you. Man, Jesus died for you. And he wants you to know him, and he wants you to walk closely in freedom with him. And if you want to put your trust in him tonight, and you want to be able to say, along with the rest of us in this room, it is well with my soul, then I'll give you a chance to pray with us in just a minute. But guys, let's worship in a truly spiritual way tonight. And let's remember, worship is always appropriate no matter what we're feeling and what we're going through. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, God. And you've been so good to us. You've enabled us, God, to to know you, God, to find peace, to know truth, God, to walk free, God, to find the hope of our life, Lord. And we just praise you for that, God. And Lord, tonight, God, we're just asking for help. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask you to Just pray about the dampeners in your life. And maybe I didn't bring yours up. Maybe there's something going on in your life and it's just destroying your worship and your heart for God. And and you just need to pray about that thing right now. And let me just say this. If it's sin, if sin is the thing that's holding you back from worshiping because you feel like God doesn't want to hear from you, then just know that that's such a lie. That if if you've had the worst week of your life and you've made the worst decisions of your life and you walked in here going, man, I can't imagine God wants anything to do with me tonight. Please know that he loves you so much. I really feel strong. His only service I've said this at. I feel strongly somebody needs to hear that tonight. He looks at you with love in his eyes. He reaches out to you and he wants you to be close. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you, put, you want to put your trust in him tonight, would you just pray with me silently? You could say something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying in my place. Thank you so much for walking in this broken world just like I have. Thank you so much for suffering to a degree that I can't even wrap my mind around it so that I could know you, so that I could know forgiveness and grace and mercy. God, thank you for this love. Jesus, show me how real you are. In your name I pray, amen. We're gonna stand together and sing, guys. And again, I would just ask, let's, let's worship God together. Let's not be distracted. Let's not leave. We, we really have carved out and programmed the service in such a way that we could kind of get me out of the way and now we could just respond to Jesus. And so we're gonna sing both songs we talked about along with a couple others. And I just wanna encourage you, just dive deep into God's presence tonight. He's here and he loves you and he wants you to enjoy his presence in a special way tonight.